Hello, and welcome back to the Wheel Talk podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. I am joined by Lauren Rowney. Lauren, hello. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Gracie Elvin, hello. Hey, hey. Lauren's intro kind of reminded me of the Truman Show. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I used to love that movie. <laughs> We, we're here to talk about women's cycling. We're going to chat a little bit about the European championships that went on last week. And yeah, that's about it. We're, I think I, I used to say this a lot and I eventually gave up, but we're going to keep it short this week. <laughs> uh, before we dive into the Europeans, this episode of the Wheel Talk podcast is brought to you by the members of the Escape Collective. Support Escape Collective in any way that suits you best by becoming a member with unlimited access to our web content. Connect with editors on the Escape Community Discord or stay in the loop with our weekly member newsletter. But if Discord isn't your thing and all you're really interested in is the site, you can become a reader and that's all you get. Access to the site. It's great. I mean, you can... Support us in what way you can, but also to the extent at which you're interested in participating in what Escape Collective has to offer. We've got a ton of great content on the site, a couple pretty good podcasts, one phenomenal one about women's cycling, but if you're listening to this, then you already know <laughs> that. <laughs> so become a member at escapecollective.com slash join, and thanks to everyone who's already signed up. We haven't had any massive transfers this week, but we're still keeping an eye on that news. So we will keep everyone posted as they come. I suspect that there's a few big ones coming down the pipeline. So I'm excited to see what happens there. Kind of the biggest news on the transfer side, even though we don't know who she's riding for, is that Ruth Winder is returning to the professional women's peloton. Yeah, that is really big news. She's just freshly retired. She just couldn't get enough of it. I like that she said she just needed a sabbatical. It's a good way to mm. I mean, Lotta Hentala, am I saying her last name right, Hentala? Mm-hmm. Um, she retired, right? She wasn't just taking a sabbatical and then she she's come back and in between had a baby and all of that. So, um, yeah, sometimes you're just not done. And Ruth is by no means too old to be coming back. So she was actually in, in the prime of her her career, I would say, those those golden years around the 30s. Um, and I'm sure she had reasons why she had to step away um, from the sport. And she's probably, well, I mean, Abby, you know her much better than I do. But um, maybe she just needed that, yeah, like you said, a sabbatical to, to sort some things out and, and realize maybe why you're doing it. Yeah, I think she was one of those riders that puts a lot of pressure on themselves in the Olympic cycle and she had so much focus on the Olympics and whether or not you succeed at the Olympics, I feel like when, when there's pressure put on an event that only happens once every four years that you have very little control over the outcome, it can burn you through. So I think for her finishing up the Olympics and especially in in the COVID years when the Olympics were postponed, it was, it was good for her to step away from the sport for a bit. So I'm excited to see what coming back into the sport means for her and her outlook on cycling. Cause I think in the end there, it wasn't, she wasn't loving it as much as she did earlier on in her career, but she's only 30. So, so yeah, Mm. she's got like, well, if you're on me, Van Vluten, 11 more years. 
<laughs> so so yeah i think um i'm excited to see where she goes that news should be coming out relatively soon possibly as you're listening to this podcast it's already out but yeah she will be back in the in the peloton maybe we can get her get chat with her see what she's thinking ahead of this kind of rebirth of her career mm. i guess you could call yeah, it yeah i think that would be a really interesting interview for a lot of reasons even if you weren't in that scenario at all i think that she's had a lot of time to think and some of the reasons why she retired were also really interesting at the time and and to hear that growth that she's had the last two years i think that would be actually quite helpful for a lot of writers on a different journey to to hear from because at the, ultimately it's about being happy and finding what works for you. And I think she's was able to just go home and just do home stuff and she's still super fit. Like she did all the gravel, the Lifetime Grand Prix and a bunch of the gravel stuff the last two years. So she's been training. It's not like she's coming back from zero again. Um, but I think she's just figured out how to actually have fun and that's so important as we, you know, say a lot. Yeah, and I think Ruth is a rider who started really young, correct me if I'm wrong. I remember racing in the US in 2012 and she was racing for a bandicoot and, and she must have been 18 then because there's probably five years between us. Um, and she was really good then, but it's she's like a name that really emerged, I would say, in her last years of racing. Like she's always been around um, doing the, the combination of, I believe it was track, um and road at one point and then becoming more road specific so i think for for junior riders it would be an interesting listen too just to how to manage your if you want to have a sustainable career and have a long career because i think some of these really talented young riders like we saw i think uh the young rider from the uk who's 17 has uh signed on with movie star cat um i was gonna say cat stevens but that's a, an artist <laughs> um yes, Cat Stevens. <laughs> yeah that guy <laughs> um yeah i just uh i think there's lots of lessons to be learned there now that it seems lots of young riders are jumping straight into these world tour contracts with obviously a more of a development stage but still it's um it's a big thing yeah and also it's, i think her career highlights that it, even if you're on the most coveted team track it's not the be all end all, you know, like mm -hmm. she wasn't happy and there could be lots of reasons for that. But just being on a, a big a big team that everyone wants to be on doesn't mean that you're going to have a great career. So I think that she might come into a different type of team, different culture, and she might thrive in a different environment. And I, I believe she's racing Gravel Worlds. So um... Who isn't? Yeah. Speaking yeah. of, didn't I just see Anamikas lining up for it? Yeah. Oh, really? You did see that. You saw that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's funny. Everyone's ass. just like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll talk about Gravel Worlds. I roped Heidi Franz into doing a podcast about Gravel Worlds, so we're going to hear from an someone who's in the scrum. Um, so I'm excited for that in the, in the weeks to come. But, yeah, um, I guess also... In, on the transfer-ish side, uh, I the news came out today, Tuesday, as we're recording, that DSM re-signed three of their riders. Unsurprisingly, uh, Pfeiffer Georgie, Frances Francesca Koch, and uh, Charlotte Cool all re-signed with the team. And I feel like 
they are riders that like you either sink or swim in the DSM mm-hmm. environment and they're three riders that have, have really swum. So I'm excited to see them continuing with the team because I feel like in this kind of new era of that team, I think that they're doing, they're doing really well, um, with their riders, the way they're treating their riders. And also you can see it in the way that they race. So I'm, I am excited about these renewals and I think, yeah, um, I'm excited to see what how that team continues to to grow. Sweet. Can we talk about Europeans? I'm so excited to talk about this race. I ha- I have to admit, I rewatched it because I did not get a chance in the day. But then after seeing your messages, I was like, yeah, okay, if she's getting this excited about a race, I have to watch it. And when you you often think about Drenta. I don't know, people have mixed feelings about that region and the races that usually go on there in the early spring. Um, Because it's cold. I don't know. The racing can be really exciting there, even though it's pancake flat and you have that one random trash hill. Um, (laughs) It seems to bring out the the best in people and sometimes you just see these incredible breakout performances, which I'm sure we're going to get into. But it's exactly what we love, Lauren. It's a circuit and it's a circuit that involves a hill. And so that means that it's always going to be like super fun. And Aggressive. I liked, yeah. I liked that the finish wasn't right after, like right mm. at the top of the hill. Like they've had, uh, the sex toys race had a finish at the very top of that hill. That was Lanika Unikin, I think won mm-hmm. that stage, but it was a super aggressive stage, like totally wild. SC works trying to get the Jersey off of Ellen Van Dyke. Like it was, it was a great stage watch. Um, and yeah, that, that was when they've also had, I think the nationals have finished at the top, but the nationals have also finished where the finish was for the Europeans when Rihanna Marcus won it. So I was glad that they, they didn't finish it at the top of the hill. Cause I feel like that limits who can win it a lot more. And mm. since they still had like a little bit of a descent, it wasn't even that long, from the top that far from the top but it still added like a little bit of an extra dynamic to the race that I really enjoyed and I feel like yeah you look at the you look at where it is (laughs) and like think about the race like oh man Europeans and the Netherlands like it's gonna Mm. be it's gonna be a sprinter it's gonna like be the strong this team with the most numbers which it was but it was still such an exciting race and like I think that course is just selective enough it's not like the world's was like bonkers that was an insanely selective course and it but it's also not like a sprint finish like we had last year uh, when Lorena Weebus won it's like just selective enough for a really exciting race that is wide open and it could have been another Lorena Weebus victory but it also could have been many many other people and I feel like that made for a really interesting race. I, I see the key point there, but I guess we want to get to the de- debate point at the end. I'm curious what our three different opinions are going to be on the, <laughs> the Dutch tactics. It was it was a really, really aggressive race. There was some fantastic racing from a few different riders and, and teams. And, like, it was a lot of the usuals that were up there and this is the last European um race of the year. So this was this was it for for these riders for most of them. So um to see them just like throw it all down was was really impressive. And you know the the Dutch 
raced again well together and then, yeah, there were some mistakes there, but they obviously managed to rectify that in the end with uh, Misha Bredewal coming around with the, the win and a second as well on the podium. But um, I thought um, the Swiss were really strong again. Marlon Rusa, questionable tactics at times. But um, I'm trying to think. There were some standout riders, and I should have written their names down. I said um, before the race that Soraya Paladin should have been mm. Italy's hope for a result, and I and I hold to that. Like I think Eliza Balsamo was riding super well, and she's obviously come into form after like a horrendous start to the year. Um, and it was a bummer that she crashed. I'm glad she's yeah. okay. Like that, I, I she crashed also in um, Tour of Scandinavia, and that one looked super gnarly. Mm. And this one also looked like really, it was at least the grass looks off, but the barriers, like man, I just I want to like wrap her in bubble wrap or something because she just looked like her front wheel went out. Yeah. It wasn't even. Mm. I didn't even think she was going that fast around the corner. But no, I think she. Okay. Well, I think she scrubbed her speed a lot going into the corner and yeah. that may have been the problem. Mm. But yeah. but yeah, I like I Soraya Paladin I thought rode an an interesting race and it could have it hopefully it would have gone better had the Dutch not been so strong. But that move that mm. she was in with Elise Shabby, like that was a it was great dangerous. Yeah, it was a great move for her to give it a try. But I do think that Italy should have just been like, okay. Soraya, save everything for the last like two to three laps. You're the one we're riding for because I think that she's proved this year that she is really di- like diverse. She's very good at riding very different things. Like she can climb decently well. She's got a great kick on her. She does like a good lead out. And I feel like if you looked at the rest of their roster, there wasn't really anyone besides Balsamo that has proven this year to be riding well this year. I feel like this is a problem that happens a lot where nations go in and they're like, okay, well we have our top rider, but maybe they have had a shit season and they maybe were the top rider for five years, but if they're not riding well right now, you need to change up your tactics. And I think Italy maybe didn't, yeah, didn't look at their riders and be like, well, Soraya Paladins had arguably the best season of the lot and we should probably give her a chance. Cause I think like Sylvia Persico was amazing last year, but this year has been a little bit of a letdown. I don't, I think it's just because she's developing. I don't think it has anything to do with like, it's not a bad thing at all. It just happens. And yeah. Mm. So I, I had mixed feelings seeing her up the road, but I, I still, hold to that I I'm impressed with her as a rider this year and I think like had things gone differently it could have been her day I guess you could say that about a lot of people mm. there were some riders as well that I thought were um a little more quiet than they usually have been in previous races but that's maybe just because it's it's been a, a long season and it, it's the last race because um Cecile I thought she she was a bit quiet um, I actually forgot she was in the race. Emma Norsgaard, I think, had a, a great finish to the race, um, some really brave moves there. And then Cassia Nuadoma as well was a rider who usually is very aggressive. She's got nothing to lose in a course like this, and she didn't really have um, as much support maybe if she would have liked. Um, so, yeah, for her it was a quieter race too. 
Man, the the Polish team had seven riders, and then at one point, like they entered the circuits, they did one circuit, and then four of them were out the back. Mm. And I was like, oh, sorry, sorry, Kasia, you're. <laughs> but this not... this is that race, right? Like it's yeah. whenever you do any sort of race around there, if it's you know, wind is often a defining factor of racing in the Drenthe region, and. Um, actually this year it looked like there wasn't so much wind at all. So it didn't impact the race as much as it could have. Because imagine if it was windy like we know in the spring, mm -hmm. then it just throws a whole other element um, and maybe we would have seen a different winner. That said, I think the Dutch still had five in that front group of 10 or 11 at the end. Uh, so it was a numbers game. Um, and that's just where they always come out on top. I, d I just think... Look at the top 20, that reflects how people rode that day. I think it mm -hmm. was a very honest finishing list. The Dutchies were almost always in control the whole day from kilometre zero. They were on the front, setting the tempo, keeping their riders out of trouble, um, preventing a few things happening early as they got through that bigger lap. Uh, it's It wasn't super technical but technical enough that they, they just kept that in nice control. And then they were uh, putting riders in moves. They were attacking. They always had the numbers. Um, so yeah, they had one, one and two on the podium. Uh, next off the cab off the rank was the Belgian team. Of course, Lotta Kopecky is an outstanding rider at the moment, but she actually had some really great support from the Belgian mm. national squad. So definitely worth noting them. I'm really enjoying seeing the Belgians come together yeah. every opportunity now because we haven't talked about them until really this year. Um, Lotta Kopecky's, you know, been getting better and better the last few years, but she's actually got some good support now and you're seeing that Belgian jersey quite a lot. Um, so I was really impressed with a few riders on that squad. Um, the British, too, saw Anna Henderson heaps. She was really active all day. She's been on some really good form the last few months, so it was nice to see her kind of give those last biscuits that she's had left at the last bit of the season. I hope she doesn't have to go to China. But um, <laughs> so with her and Pfeiffer Georgie in the top ten, I think that that was probably just what, they were capable of that day. I think that's really excellent results. Unfortunately, they, they didn't get on the podium, but with those other three, you know, you can't um, you can't say that they didn't put up a good fight and the Italians, they just weren't that organised, um, didn't quite have the firepower, and I agree with you both. They probably just could have had a better leader on the day. Yeah. And the Swiss, of course, uh, you've already mentioned that, but. They work pretty well together, but I just, whenever I see Shabby and Rusa race together, it's like they've had half a conversation. Mm. Like it just doesn't quite click and it's frustrating because they're both so good. They're just so the strong. Language. and There's they're... no language barrier. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> yeah. isn't Rusa, is she uh, German speaking? I was joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because... I was like, oh, yeah, they speak multiple languages in that country. Three. Oh, um, man, that's actually a good point. I had not. It's a bad country to make that joke about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, yeah, that, that is a good point. Like, again, Rusa and Shabby were on a brilliant day. They were phenomenal. The amount mm. of moves that they were in, the the moves that were brought back, they're, they're just two riders. Um so it does feel like if they could, 
could coordinate a little better and maybe had one extra Swiss rider, um, I think they would be pretty hard team to beat as well, um, just in terms of the strength. Um, yeah, like but- they're, they're doing really well. It's just like their timing is just a little bit off together. Mm. So close. Shabby could have attacked when Bredewald attacked after they brought back Royster's like 30th move mm. of the day. And maybe it wouldn't have succeeded because the reason that Bredewald succeeded is because she was Dutch. And so they didn't chase her right away, but it was still such a good moment. And I agree with you, Gracie there. It's like, they're just one step off of each other. But I also think that Royster is, she knows how to race because we've seen her win world tour races this year, but she's still pretty relatively new to, to racing. And I think that her strength and her tactical knowledge don't match up yet because I think that she wasted a lot of energy on Saturday attacking over and over and over again. And she doesn't have a good enough kick to get away. So she needs to find another way to use her energy. It just wasn't an effective Mm -hmm. use of her, of her matches of her power, in my opinion. Yeah. I think we've seen that before. I think sometimes when you've got that much horsepower to give, then Mm -hmm. sometimes you just, you, just, um, you don't budget it that well. You kind of just throwing out chips at the casino the whole night and then you just can't really <laughs> put it all on red when you want to. That was a great analogy. Yeah, that, that was a good one. <laughs> um, I had yeah, like thank two you. chips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. Like some Use of them us, wisely. <laughs> yeah, but that's how you learn to race when you know you've only got a certain amount of chips to play yeah. with. And I think that. Yeah. Sometimes it's a bit of a a curse to be super strong because you just don't learn as quickly as those of us that had to be a bit more clever. (laughs) Now I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, Braderwald, I I don't know if we want to go into her actual move and her winning the race, but she was really active um, in the race as well. The whole Dutch team was. Um, She was in moves herself and then I think the timing of when she went was, was brilliant. Because it was like you had the five duchies and then out of all of them, I think she was the one rider that sometimes is probably still, um, what's the word, overlooked a little bit. How? It, who's another rider that we always say people just overlook them? Um, the Colombian rider. No. Oh, Arlena. Sierra. Yeah. yeah. And I think like. It was also just that time where there was going to maybe be a lull because there'd just been so much action and we were approaching, what, the last 10 kilometres or so of the race. So everyone's starting to really think about the finish and realising, you know, Weebers are still there, Kapeki is there. Um, and if it had just come to the bottom as a group, then naturally it was going to be one of those two riders. But when she went, there, it, she got a huge gap really quickly, which shows that the bunch did a massive hesitation. There was zero reaction. Um, And I wonder if that had been Rihanna Marcus or one of the other riders, like Demi, who'd been very active um, and done a ton of work that day. I don't think we would have seen um, the same gap go out like that. I don't know. I think we would have. I think pretty much any Dutch rider could have done that move. And because I think she time her timing was just impeccable. Like 
They just, she went straight through the middle of the bunch. It was that such a weird was attack. my favorite thing. Like, I know. I said it in my race report. I was like, kids, don't ever try this at home because it's not going to work. Like, you never attack from the middle. She had to, like, weasel her, her way through multiple of her teammates to, like, you saw her kind of, like, <laughs> just sneak by Rihanna Marcus and then just, like, accelerate out of the middle of the pelotonists it was the weirdest thing and it it shouldn't have worked but i think it worked because there had there had just been a ton of action they just brought back multiple moves it Mm -hmm. there had just been multiple attacks It, it had been really fast up to that point so when she went it was right when they were re bunching for a second and so there was still a bunch of riders off the back it was still strung out there were groups coming back together And I think that just no one expected to see it happen. And I also think that, like I said, like she, she's Dutch. The only team with the numbers was the Dutch. Like the Mm. Belgians are getting better and better and better. And it's, I think part of the Lota Kopecky effect, but they still can't organize as quickly as the Dutch. No. And I think, I mean, Kopecky was alone there. I, I think who, who had representation, there was the Dutch and then the Swiss had two. Um, and then was it just ones? I think the British so. had just two, like, just like maybe ones, but they were they weren't anywhere near each other. Like yeah, so if there was any representation other than one rider, they weren't anywhere where they could. It would have had you would have had to be really thinking on your feet to react to her. I think the only reason that Demi would have been less successful is because Kapeki is marking her. But Kapeki's not marking Bredewald. She also wouldn't probably have been marking... No, Weebiz and Kapeki were, like, <laughs> glued to stuck to each other the whole the whole race. Yeah. <laughs> One wasn't never going... saw them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One wasn't going anywhere without the other. But, um, yeah, with, with Bredewald, yeah, okay, I thought it was, it was perfect timing as well, great attack. Um, and when she went, I, I did think that it was over by then. Um, and there was merely going to be a race for second. But I'm curious about your debate with Tom's, Abby. So after the race, I was, like, really excited that Bredewald had won. Obviously, she's been to see Taylor Swift in concert, so I have a soft spot for her from the <laughs> She saw the 1989 uh, World Tour, which is just very cool. Um, her favorite song is wildest dreams, but she was quick to tell me that she no longer listens to Taylor Swift because she's an adult. And I was like, well, to each their own Travis Kelsey, listens <laughs> to Taylor Swift and he's doing just fine <laughs> anyway. Um, so I, I was really happy to see her win. And I think part of that is just because although I'm not yet tired of seeing Lorena Weebus win because she's winning in sprints, but she's also winning in really exciting ways like this. The second stage she won at Scandinavia was epic. Like, I think that she's, I'm not as tired of her winning as Volering winning. I have no basis for this. This is just pure gut feeling and biased and you can take it as you will. I'm allowed to have opinions. This is my podcast, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I was happy to see a win and the emotion. She was just. So I was like, yeah, so I was thrilled to see. If it was going to be a Dutch victory, I was so happy that it wasn't Weebus or Vollering because I think the two of them have won a ton this year. Like they have just been winning and winning and winning and winning. 
So, so I liked that it wasn't Weebus or Vollering that won. And I think that's because I do have a little bit of exhaustion about those two. And I also liked that it wasn't Kopecky because she's the world champion. And had she won, we wouldn't have seen the European jersey in the Peloton at all next year because mm-hmm. Euros happens before Worlds. So we literally wouldn't see it because so, she would be in the world champ jersey all season. So, so I was happy that Bradewald won because she's a young rider. She's really exciting. It seems like she's on flying form at the butt end of this season with her win mm-hmm. in Plouay. And, and she wasn't one of our regular names. And I think it was always going to be a Dutch rider with the strength that they had. I'm just glad it wasn't the ones that we're used to. However, after the race, I got into a debate with my husband about whether her move was okay, because the plan was for Weebus. And we could see that from the very beginning of the race, you had Volering even like working on the front when there were moves off the front. Bredewald and Los Adhis were doing a ton of work. Rihanna Marcus was doing a ton of work. Webus was the only one sitting in the wheels. There was attacks from Rihanna Marcus and Bredewald earlier on in the day, but they weren't the kind of attacks that are going to win the race. They were just kind of to speed things up and get things going. It was really, really clear that they were all in for Webus, regardless of what Volering said in her pre-race interview, which was that they have cards to play I think I'm adding that to my list of things like from strength to strength (laughs) every time someone says oh we have cards to play you have to I don't know eat a cookie (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah so the debate that we had was was the move okay because she won the race and we had this weird moment where Bredewald was off the front. Volering was still was chasing because they were riding for Weebus. And people were like, and I was like, why, what is Volering doing? She's riding, she's chasing down her own teammate. That is so lame. But then after the race, it was like, okay, but wait, she was doing the race plan. She was leading out Weebus into the climb so that she could take the win. Weebus was second had Bradewald not been off the front perhaps she would have won we never know but it was yeah the, you saw this this weird thing going on at the finish where all the SC Works riders who weren't Dutch went and gave Bradewald a hug we saw like we saw her get hugs from Rihanna Marcus we saw her get a hug from Marlon Rooser we saw her get like a fist bump from Lotta Kopecky but we didn't see Volering or Weebus go up and congratulate her And on the podium, Weebus was visibly not stoked. So Mm. was the move okay or not? She went against the team plan, but she won. Ah. Right? I mean, the thing is, like, okay, so there's no race radios. Yes, you have a race plan. This is just purely my opinion. You you have five in a group of 10 or 11. I think it was like 11. Um. Or even if it was 12 or 15, you, you have the odds there. Um, and she was just racing on instinct at that moment. I don't know. She saw a lull and she went for it and she, I mean, it made for better racing than what, well, what would have happened. Other riders would have attacked. The Dutch would have shut them down and then ridden to the base of the Vanberg and then raced up it. And then you're not guaranteed that Weavers would have beat Kopecky. 
um, yeah. on that finish. Like this, this is the smartest way to race. You've got the numbers. Actually, every single one of those Dutch riders that were in the group could have pulled it off, like we've said. So for me, it wasn't selfish. I mean, that's just generally speaking, that's how you race when you have the numbers like that in a group. And again, you don't have someone over the radio saying, all right, we're, we're just going to keep it all together now and race to the bottom. I think even that had a risk. She even said after the race that she attacked and then she was like, oh, fuck, that wasn't the plan. She said the F word, not me. She, that wasn't the plan. And then she was like, well, I'll just keep going because then Demi and puts pressure on and Lorena can just sit in. And then she didn't think until she was on the Vanberg that, okay, I can actually maybe win this. Like she, when she attacked, she was going on instinct, which is, which is great, especially for a Mm. young rider who's Mm -hmm. like newer to racing. She's not, she's not, she's Dutch. So she's got more experience than most 23 year olds her age. (laughs) Uh, She, but so it was, it almost makes it more impressive that she won purely on instinct at that moment. But I still, my initial reaction to Demi pulling on the front was negative, negativity. But I think now looking back on it, it's like, okay, well, she was, she was still just executing the plan. Although I think like if Kopecky had sprinted around, if they had caught Bredewald and Kopecky had won, we would be having a different conversation about the Dutch tactics. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that like Demi was even right riding back she was just setting a pretty hard tempo but she was controlling it Mm. and just keeping Lorena in the wings and protected I think I'm sure like you of course you want to win the race but I don't know I completely agree with Lauren as well of like well if you have the numbers you need to use them more often than not and who's the biggest threat it's Kapeki what do you do with the biggest threat you isolate her and then you force her to make decisions and that's exactly what they were doing. And Bredewald wasn't the only one attacking. Rihanna Marcus was attacking and following heaps. Even Vollering was attacking in a couple of moments there. So, like, the whole Dutch team were making that race hard one way or the other and they were forcing other teams to make decisions and they were trying to whittle down that group and they did that exceptionally well and Bredewald was just the one that had the best timing and the best mm. time of the race to do it and pulled it off. So I, I don't think it was selfish at all. I think that um, it might not have been the plan, but I'm sure that they would have talked through the scenarios of let's make it as hard as we can in certain moments and make it aggressive. And I don't know. I don't think she would have been in trouble for that. <laughs> no, I think the national coach would have been – We've won. Yeah. Someone and wearing the jersey won today. And, I mean, for SD Works, the jersey remains in their team. It's just I think Lorena, yeah, okay, she didn't look super chuffed on the podium. She just wants to win. And I think at any opportunity that she doesn't, it still really stings, even if it is a teammate that you should be happy for. But that just shows a little bit of um, maybe immaturity too. Maybe, yeah. But I was stoked. I mean, come on. Gracie picked her to win. She won. Um, and it was like just it's nice to have someone else in the jersey. So I, I, I like the way that it panned out. It was a great race to watch. 
And, um, you know, I think there can be some pretty happy people going into the off season and some who will need to work on some stuff for 2024. Their bags for China because we still got two World Tour races. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got some All good right, news, ladies. Poor souls. Uh, um, worth mentioning that uh, Marlon Roeser won again the the time trial during the week, so she'll she'll stay as the European champion in the ITT. Anna Henderson was second, which is phenomenal for her. I think yeah, she just keeps getting better and better. Although if you just take Chloe Duggar, no, because Roeser wasn't. Yeah, great ride. Uh, Christina Schweinberger again third, so another podium for her. Really great end of the season she's having. Um, the U23 was another Dutch rider, although not, I think, one that we would have picked again with uh, Ilsa Plumers mm. winning for AG, well, for for the Netherlands, but she rides for AG Insurance Sudal Quickstep during the regular season. Anna Shackley second, so hat tip to Matt Deneef because that's who he picked for the for the U23 race. And... Um, Zoe Backstead won the time trial earlier in the week for the U23s. Should we should we wrap it up with wrap it up with what we're obsessed with? Sure. Who yeah. wants to go first? I want to go first. <laughs> I've got to try and think. Actually, <laughs> me too. I did I have... even try and think about it beforehand, but I didn't think of anything yet. I was like, I need some pressure. <laughs> I have something that I'm obsessed with, but I'm I'm honestly embarrassed that I'm obsessed with it. But but I'm the one who started this game, so I will say it. So you guys know when you have a friend and they're super interested in something, but they don't live in the same country as you. So you need to like actively work on communicating with them. And sometimes mm-hmm. their obsession with something, you have to kind of follow along in order to have something to t- text them about every day. Not really, but I understand. <laughs> I've never had that, but yes, continue. <laughs> I just need something to talk to one of my friends about. So she's really into reality TV. And I was like, okay, well, Tom's was away at, at a race. And I was like, I'll just watch the Kardashians on Hulu or Ugh. Disney Plus, depending where you are. Because I was like, I, I need to be able to talk to Becca about her reality TV thing. And the Kardashians was the, the only one that I could access in Europe. Um, and now I stayed up until freaking 2 a.m. watching the Kardashians <laughs> like three nights you in didn't. a row. I did. And did your was, brain melt? Yes. <laughs> and I was oh my like, God, Abby, you're such a good friend. Instagram because now do that. I know, but now I'm like obsessed <laughs> and I'm like, I hate this. Oh I, no. I hate oh, no, this what's... now. <laughs> it is a terrible that, That's night. the worst people should be obsessed with. I'm sorry. Yeah. I know. I like it's so addictive though I do get it I it's understand so addictive it. I want to like suction it out of my brain but now that it's there I can't now that it's there it's there you know do you know what reality like I'm not really into reality TV shows but um while I wait for the news to start at 7 p.m sometimes I'm like there needs to be a 15 minute filler here um uh, Married at First Sight Australia is here on Belgium TV. No. I've never watched it. And, man, I, you can go down the rabbit hole with that stuff. Oh, yeah. It's like even Hannes enjoys it. It's a bit tragic, but it's just good watching. Um, yeah. I knew someone that was on one of the series of oh, really? Married at First Sight. Yeah. Were they successful? Yeah, they're still together kind of. Oh, wow. I think. 
Um, I used to, I'm not a big reality TV person, but I used to love Farmer Wants a Wife because it was like really sweet, like right at the start. Like any, actually, any reality TV show used to be good when it was like mm. the first season, like 10 years ago, when it wasn't so like fame driven. And then I found out through my Dutch teammate, Luz Gunnawak, that that show is like super successful in the Netherlands because it's just not a very big country. So city girls moving out to the country actually works because they're not that far from the city. Whereas in Australia, (laughs) if you move out to the country, you're like thousands of kilometres away from anywhere and it just doesn't quite work. So I always thought that was kind of funny. Like they have like a 90% success rate or something and there's like dozens of children that have been like come out of those marriages <laughs> i love that it's um it's the same here in belgium the farmer wants a wife um and actually the town i live in that the girl from this town she met a farmer he's belgian but like i don't know they filmed in australia or something um and then i don't know if she was flown over there they're still together they have babies now so it's yeah. like the old Bachelor, like back when The Bachelor was new, it worked. And now the all the contestants that, that win The Bachelor or The Bachelorette break up within like, well, sometimes like a week. Well, the podcast, my, my dirty little secret podcast, Life Uncut, um, <laughs> that's like my easy, my easy listening stuff where I don't have to think. Uh, Laura, who's one of the hosts, she is one of the successful mm. Bachelor contestants and she is married to maddie J, and they have two girls the so best reality go. tv remains survivor yeah i'm not embarrassed Definitely. to watch survivor but i'm embarrassed that i'm obsessed with the kardashians for sure <laughs> so you're just doing it for your friend abby it's like a it's a fake obsession and it's worked i've been texting her for like <laughs> three days straight about skims and the kardashians it's been amazing good job <laughs> Uh, maybe i'd have more friends if my commitment to friendship was was uh as good as yours abby you know like you get older and like i have a job she has a job we both have kids you don't have time to like plus she lives about other things yeah so i was like we need something to text about every day so i will is this the becca that ran la sweat uh she was she was on la sweat and she was the designer for them yeah that's right. She has a kombucha company now. Oh, Mortal Kombucha. Cool. Like Mortal Kombat, but Mortal Kombucha. <laughs> She's very witty. That's good. <laughs> anyway, obsessions? Do you have an obsession, Lauren? Actually, uh, is it an obsession? We'll just say it's an obsession, but it's not really. Because I'm not really one who's into clothing and fashion and stuff. But I am getting married in five weeks. And so I have been looking for really non-traditional wedding dresses and I found one on the weekend, which I guess I could say I'm obsessed with. It's a burgundy colour. And then, um, yeah, there'll be more to come. I'll have to, I'll make sure I share photos when that day finally arrives. But I will be seven months pregnant. So not going for the traditional white and it's... uh, a bit sexy, the dress. Ooh. <laughs> I can't wait it. to see photos. <laughs> I like that you didn't go for the white. That's a good choice. I'm actually, I think I'm going to wear these black boots as well that I bought. So we'll see. Yeah. It's really non-traditional. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love it. 
Um, I'll say my obsession is kind of like two obsessions in one. And I love reading and I'm currently really enjoying gardening and I've been reading gardening books. (laughs) 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 But like good ones, there's there's this author that I love. His name's Michael Pollan and he's written quite a a number of books um, about lots of stuff. He he started off as a garden writer and he ended up writing some very famous books now on psychedelics and other um, psychoactive plants like caffeine, opium, mescaline. So I've enjoyed tearing through a lot of his books and the one I'm reading currently is about the humble home garden and he just makes it very funny but also very educational and... Yeah, I'd highly recommend him as an author if you're into learning about natural, cool stuff. Good, good recommendation. I've just Googled him. I'm hoping, Gracie, that next year I will be, like, into garden stuff. Yeah, I Um, hope so too. It's very nice. I've been enjoying it. It makes you feel good. Yeah. And I ate rocket today in my lunch. That was from my garden. Oh, I love that. Uh, I love that. Also, gardens, my garden oh. are great for kids. Yeah. It keeps them busy. Um, so I'm looking forward to that because the garden I have right now is just a beautiful wild jungle. Um, but when we move into the house that we've actually bought, it will be uh, a smaller garden. But like I mentioned, I think in the last podcast, I'll have a, a little greenhouse. Um, so... That will be Project 2024. Can't wait to hear Something about to it. Something to look forward to. Yeah. In future podcasts. I'll send you some books. <laughs> they were going to become a mom gardening podcast. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I was actually going to suggest we start like, you know how you've got the album files? Mm, we yeah. could have like a completely separate podcast. The three yeah. of us. Just what you're obsessed with, but just for a whole hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think people would love it, to be honest. With intimate mom stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And thanks, you too, as always. <laughs>